I mean, 99% of the world is totally disengaged about the biggest crisis civilization has ever faced. Mm -hmm. Anything that goes directly to the language and how it's been communicated has been communicated in such a way that it's all about the probability of what's going to go wrong and when and how and the severity of that and how fast it's getting worse. And it should be stated from my point of view as like, here's this gnarly problem. What are the possibilities inherent? And we should talk about those possibilities because every problem actually is a pathway to transformation. Hello and welcome to The Environment Show. I'm Phil Stubbs. In this episode, I'm speaking with Paul Hawken. Hawken is a respected elder of the modern environmental movement. He's written a number of groundbreaking books, particularly on how business can work together with nature. Those books have included The Ecology of Commerce and Natural Capitalism. Now he's taken on the monumental challenge of climate change with Drawdown. It's an ambitious project that pulled together top researchers and scientists from around the world to identify and rank the 100 most effective solutions to the problem of global warming. Not just to slow it down, but to reverse it. In this interview, Paul and I discuss the most important and bold ideas in Drawdown, ideas that are refreshingly doable and practical. But Hawkins also a deep thinker. Listen out in this podcast for his philosophical take on the climate crisis. I heard you say in an interview once, Paul, that you thought climate change was a good thing. Uh, what did you mean by that? I didn't say it was a good thing. I meant to say that it was a blessing. And in the case of global warming, it's a blessing because it's feedback from a very complex dynamic system called the atmosphere, weather, and climate. And those feedback loops, if you will, are actually guiding us to a very different world. Any system, and it is a system, that ignores feedback perishes. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we get feedback from ecosystems, social systems, economic systems from our own body. And when we override those feedbacks, we get into trouble. So for the listener who's new to Drawdown, how would you explain what it is? Well, the term drawdown in the context of climate means that first time on a year-to-year basis where greenhouse gases peak and go down year-to-year as opposed to go up. And so it is not just peak uh, emissions, but it's actually that point when they start to go down. So it's a military analogy, isn't it? So you've taken Well, it it's a checkbook analogy. It's a well analogy. It's a military analogy. The word is used to draw down checking accounts, to draw down a well, to draw down soldiers. So it depends how it's used. But in the, in the scientific context of climate, it refers to greenhouse gases. What's new, Paul, is that you know, a lot of people are talking about stabilization and mitigation, whereas what you're really on about is actually reversal. I am, because if you actually look at the levels of greenhouse gas right now, they're not at 407. They're not at the reading from the Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. That's the CO2 reading. If you add the other greenhouse gases, such as nitrous oxide, methane, HCFCs, we're at 490 ppm in terms of CO2 equivalency. So we've gone so far beyond the Paris goal of 2050 or 450 ppm. And I don't know why that is still being held out as a as a boundary level that beyond which we should not go or, or something we should achieve. And the language around uh, climate change has been very much about stabilization, reduction, curbing, mitigation. These words are used commonly. And they just seem so 
frankly, inept and weak in terms of the crisis that confronts us. Why would mm -hmm. we want to mitigate, which means to reduce the pain or seriousness of something. That's what mitigate means. Why would we want to reduce the pain of something? Why would we want to stop and turn around? If we're going in the wrong direction, why do we want to slow down in that direction? Which is kind of what mitigate is saying. Let's not go so fast yeah. in the wrong direction. I understand the intent of the word, and I certainly you know, don't want to question people's intent. I'm just saying, as an English major, it is totally the wrong language. Which leads, of course, to the messages that we keep hearing about climate change, which really makes people feel helpless. But what you're doing, I guess, is that you're reframing this debate from the problems to the solutions, aren't you? Well, first of all, I don't think there is a debate. Well, the discussion, the conversation, Yeah, I, guess. I don't think there's a debate at all. Science is evidentiary. I've gone to audiences and said, how many people here do not believe in the science or, or climate change? And in my audiences, no one raises their hand. And I say, you all should have raised your hand because science is not a belief system. It's yeah. evidentiary. The people who believe are the deniers who think that the climatic stability of the Holocene period is going to extend onwards yeah. centuries to come. And there's not a shred of scientific evidence to support that belief. That's the mm -hmm. belief. So they're the believers. We are not believers. Uh, I just think it's, it's an important distinction that needs to be made. And I'm now I've forgotten the question. So it's about whether you're reframing the conversation from problems to solutions. Well, the, the science is extraordinary. I mean, it goes back... 167 years now, and the recent activity under the UNFCCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that science is extraordinary, and never has humanity come together in such a way and so assiduously to create what I call a problem statement. And the problem statement is complex, and primarily it focuses on impacts, that is to say, the impact of climate change on world societies, agriculture, drought, migration, all those sorts of things. But what I feel like what's happened, though, is that because it's been seen as an impact and people have used the words like fight and combat and slash, decarbonization, and all these negative terms yeah. about something that is natural, climate change is a natural thing. And so the idea that we can fight it is really absurd, or that we can combat it, or that it's the enemy. That's not true. That thinking that climate is other, that it's wrong, that it's happening to us, that whole thinking is the same thinking that got us into the problem, which is to see the world in a dualistic way, see ourselves as separate from life. And so I don't think it's going to work. If you just look at it statistically, I mean, 99% of the world is totally disengaged about the, the biggest crisis civilization has ever faced. The only thing that goes directly to the language and how it's been communicated has been communicated in such a way that it's all about the probability of what's going to go wrong and when and how and the severity of that and how fast it's getting worse. That's what you read in the headlines. And it should be stated, from my point of view, as like, here's this gnarly problem for mm -hmm. sure. What are the possibilities inherent in that problem? Mm. And we should talk about those possibilities because every problem actually is a pathway to transformation. Every single problem, whether it's our personal problems mm. or relationships or you know, social or economic, mm. you know, all problems are actually an opening.
One of the great things about what you've done, I think, is that in the solutions, they actually help improve people's quality of life, really, don't they? 99 of the 100 solutions detailed in the book Drawdown are no regrets solutions, which is if there was not a climate scientist alive or uh, we were clueless as to the cause of extreme weather, uh, we would want to do them because they have, just as you said, so many benefits to the future, to people, to children, to jobs, to prosperity, to human health. So the idea that somehow we should drop our lives and change to address global warming is not true. Actually, this is all about a vast improvement mm. in and all that, affairs of humanity. And that could be the cell, really, Paul, couldn't it? That could be a way to actually get people that's, on board to that's actually why we did, scale that's why we did us up. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. why I did Drawdown, yeah. which is people move to possibility, they don't move to constraint. They just yeah. don't. That's yeah. where it's human nature. And the other thing that I really like about this as well is that it, it's not just information, it's inspiration for not just people now, but the coming generations. Well, some people will come to us and say, wow, your book is so optimistic, thank you, or it's very hopeful. And from my point of view, actually, it was a reality project. No one had ever mapped, measured, or modeled the most substantive solutions to reversing global warming. And you think 40, 50 years of climate change and global warming is in the public sphere, you would think somebody, somewhere, would have just done that. And no one had. It was great to do because we simply didn't know what it would say. If we had been asked to write down what we thought the top five or ten solutions were, I think every one of us would have been wrong. And I think the rest of the world is wrong too, by the way. And what were the most surprising solutions for you? Well, I mean, land use, of course, is 21 land use solutions. Not so much a surprise as the granulation of them. The IPCC, up until recently, has primarily talked about ag and forests. You know, don't cut the trees, and ag is a big emitter. And, and you had educating girls and family planning for women as two different things. I read if you put those two together, they would be right at the top well, I'm gonna of go, the solutions. Yeah, I, but I want to go back. That surprised us. But the other surprise was that food as a sector was the largest group of solutions for drawdown because Together. food system is the largest emitter along with transport and when we change our food system actually it can sequester carbon it's a twofer that was a big surprise in terms of specific solutions i think having refrigerant management be the number one solution was yeah. actually a big disappointment to us right. <laughs> does, does that include air conditioning yeah, yeah, any refrigeration system yeah. yeah the gases are two three four five nine thousand times more powerful in CO2. And yes, uh, educating girls is the number six solution. It's a pathway to family planning that isn't often discussed. And the impact in terms of climate is that is the difference between the UN population projections for 2050 between the high median of 10.8 billion and 9.7. So it's 1.1 billion people different. And so the other uh, number seven solution is family planning itself. I mean, which is clinics available everywhere for women's reproductive health and well-being. And you put those two together, and they're greater than refrigerant management, that's for sure. They're, they're the number one solution. But it's like, who knew, you know? I mean, we, our way of looking at this has been so prescribed by Al Gore and others, which is wind and solar and wind and solar and, you know, Elon Musk and, you know, this idea that somehow if we just go to clean energy, we get a hall pass to the 22nd century, and that's just not true. And it's really crucial that we do those. But it's a compilation, isn't it? It's, it's, it's doing a whole it's series. It's a system of caused it, a system yeah. that you have to do every, not everything, but you just can't 
choose the charismatic solutions and yeah. say if we do those that we're good. So in terms of actually scaling up the solutions, so often the way things work now seems to be stacking up against getting all these solutions going. How do we get through those barriers, Paul? Actually, I disagree. The reason I disagree is because every solution we modeled is already scaling. So the question isn't what's stacked up against it. The question is how do we accelerate it, which is a different way of looking at it. They're already accelerating. Every one of the solutions that we modeled is scaling, and actually very well. And that's kind of the hidden story. What we have to understand is that fossil fuel combustion had a 200-year head start. So the inertia of that system is its hard to watch, put it that way, yeah. given the impact that has on the climate and atmosphere. But the solutions are growing at a much faster rate than are the problems that are causing it. Can you speak about the role of individuals versus governments and companies? So what can individuals do? Well, end of day, individuals do everything, of course. But what I think is a mistake is to think that individuality is the path, you know, that somehow it resides on individuals, you know, mm. what you can do. I don't think that's true. It's what we can do. But it's always an individual that is the initiator, that's the coordinator, the facilitator, leader, the, the person who takes the initiative. And I think it's very important to understand that for a long time and up until now, what has been lost, I think, with respect to addressing global warming is agency. And so on one hand, you have this thing, well, what can you do to you know, save the earth, all these kind of things. And they tend to be rather, well, I mean, they're very important because it makes you think about it in your daily actions. Very important that way. But they've been de minimis in most cases, you know, recycling and this and that. And I think if you ask people on the street, what can you do or what are you doing? Most people say recycling, which is, has yeah. almost no effect at all. And so one of the reasons I did Drawdown was because I thought the solutions were always pointing to government and to large corporations. And that then put the individual in the position of saying, well, I hope they do something. I hope they get it right. I hope they, it's they. Who's they? And what's been lost is there's not just individuals, but there's neighborhoods and communities and cities and towns and there's small companies you know, obviously utilities and big corporations, but also states and provinces and farmers and farmlands and forest lands and grasslands. And all these have agency. And you notice I didn't mention federal government there because they don't actually have that much agency. What they can do is adopt policies that accelerate and support and, and actually be wise, which doesn't happen in your country or my country, but, yeah. <laughs> but it happens in other countries, so we know it's possible. Yeah. But really, the action takes place in the middle out. It's not really bottom up or top down. It's really the middle out. And I think if you look at the solutions in Dada, what you see is amazing diversity of ways in which human and social systems can get involved and do this in a way that, as we mentioned earlier, has so many benefits. I've been speaking there with environmental entrepreneur, writer, and intellectual Paul Hawken. We've written a full profile of Paul and included more about Drawdown on our website at environmentshow.com. We have more interviews with the world's environmental leaders coming up. Stay tuned. I'm Phil Stubbs. Hold up. 